You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Reports suggest U.S. human collection in Russia has dried up. Russian intelligence services are showing an interest in disrupting a grant of autonomy to the Ukrainian Orthodox Church by the Ecumenical Patriarch. Turkish hacktivism shows up in the U.S. as journalists' social media accounts are hijacked. A look at Iranian information operations. ISIS limps back into cyberspace. And a new point-of-sale malware family is discovered. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 27, 2018. As the week opens, there's considerable news of state-directed espionage and information operations, as well as some efforts that may represent patriotic hacktivism closely aligned with state interests. The New York Times reported over the weekend that CIA sources inside Russia have gone dark and have possibly gone underground leaving Langley with much less insight than it formerly had into Russian intentions, especially intentions with respect to U.S. midterm elections. The story cites sources inside the intelligence community who say they think the agents probably went underground as opposed to having been arrested or killed by Russian security services. Commentators speculate about a range of causes for the agents' disappearance. These run from the Russian sources having been spooked and intimidated by the attempted assassination of Sergei Skripal in Salisbury, England, to more aggressive and effective Russian counterintelligence, to the theory that the agents never existed in the first place. That third possibility is the least plausible. It's being retailed by Russia Today in response to the New York Times piece. RT says that, quote, "...not for a moment do the authors or their anonymous sources from inside the U.S. spy community contemplate the possibility that Russia might not be doing anything at all. That, however, would upset the apple cart of Russian meddling, carefully built from smoke and mirrors since mid-2016, and that just wouldn't do. Quote. Forgive them the mixed metaphor of an apple cart's being built of smoke and mirrors, although that indeed would be worth seeing, but their next claim is less forgivable. R.T. thinks that concerns about Skripal's attempted assassination by Novichok nerve agent is more evidence that the whole affair is bogus, because the Salisbury attack is something, quote, for which the British authorities never provided any evidence, end quote. Essentially, no thinking person outside the editorial staff of R.T. believes that. 
probably not even the editorial staff of RT itself, but that's another apple cart. In any case, the New York Times says that human intelligence, humant, about 2018 election influence operations, has dried up. The story's developing. We shall see. In other news that's been evergreen since A.D. 1054, the Russian government is said to be collecting intelligence on the Orthodox Church. This time the target is private correspondence of ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew I, whose seat is in Istanbul, formerly Constantinople. Russian interests in Ukrainian religious developments apparently provides the proximate motive. Patriarch Bartholomew is considering whether to grant the Ukrainian Orthodox Church autonomy from the Patriarch of Moscow. Doing so would be seen in the Kremlin as an unwelcome blow to general Russian claims of transnational relevance and authority. Tensions between the U.S. and Turkey, connected to Turkey's detention of a U.S. missionary, and Turkey's growing rapprochement with Russia, have manifested themselves in hacktivism by supporters of Turkish President Erdogan. CrowdStrike reports that members of the group Ayildiz Tim took over social media accounts belonging to journalists at Fox News, Bloomberg, and The New York Times. Ayildiz Tim claims the support of Turkish security services, but it's worth noting that Turkey has for some years had active groups of patriotic hacktivists. Like Ayildiz Tim, they often show an Ottoman nostalgia that marks the Turkish government's current retreat from the republic's traditional Kemalist secularism. Security and cyber intelligence firm FireEye is receiving mash notes from several newspapers. The prize for most starstruck goes to the Los Angeles Times, which gushes about the company's analyst being the Navy SEALs of cyberspace. Breathlessness aside, FireEye deserves credit for the work it's done over the past few weeks identifying and unmasking the Iranian cyber operators active in disinformation campaigns against regional and western rivals and opponents. Their advice facilitated takedowns of bogus, inauthentic sites representing themselves as legitimate ones. Not the least of the company's contributions may be its account of inauthenticity, which may be far more useful in countering information operations than criteria like fake or hateful or inappropriate all of which seem to enmesh social media and IT firms in problematic content judgments. FireEye uses inauthentic to describe sites that are not transparent in their origins and affiliations, undertake concerted efforts to mask those origins, and often use false social media personas to promote their content. In the case of Iranian operations, the content on the bogus sites was in large part cut and pasted from other original sites, sometimes altered, and stitched together with poorly constructed passages not written by native speakers of the languages in which they were cast. The other large Iranian campaign currently under discussion was described by SecureWorks under the name Cobalt Dickens. This espionage effort, largely directed against university targets and presumably being conducted to gain access to newly developed technology, has exhibited connections with Iran's Mabna Institute, named in earlier U.S. indictments of Iranian hackers. Iranian cyber operations are generally thought likely to increase as sanctions are reimposed on Tehran for its nuclear program. U.S. Army Cyber Command's leader thinks ISIS will step up its online activity as the small remaining physical territory of its aspiring caliphate shrinks to insignificance.
he's not alone. The group now holds only small, discontinuous pockets in Syria and Iraq, and it's increasingly being displaced by competing jihadist groups in the struggle for adherence. Its current online activities consist significantly in taking credit for unrelated acts of ordinary, if brutal, crime, usually murders. Researchers at Booz Allen Hamilton report on RTPOS, a newly identified point-of-sale malware family. RTPOS's lack of data exfiltration capability suggests, disturbingly, that it's a post-compromise tool. The researchers note that the malware is simple, highly automated, and flies easily under much of the detection radar in place to watch for point-of-sale systems. Security firm Securonix has an account of the theft of $13.5 million from India's Cosmos Bank in the second week of this month. It involved a malware infection, an ATM switch compromise, and a compromise of the bank's SWIFT environment. They think the infection originated with spear phishing, and they say the prime suspect is one of the usual ones, North Korea's Lazarus Group. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Cybersecurity and Engineering at WebRoot. David, welcome back. Um, we wanted to touch today some on uh, the different roles that different team makers play in an organization when it comes to effective security. Uh, and we wanted to talk about engineers. There's some misunderstanding there. What can you share with us? Well, you know, I'm fortunate to, to run a, a great engineering org inside of a cybersecurity company. 
Um, so, so we can look at things a little bit from a couple of perspectives. You know, generally engineers have, have a really good deep knowledge of, of software, how it works. We're talking about computer engineers, of course. Um, so, so we have a great relationship with our, with our CISO and our, our security organization. So being in engineering, we can see things potentially that could be problems that, uh, you know, other, other folks in the organization may not witness to you. So we try to foster a relationship with our engineering team to, to work with other organizations, marketing, sales, the, the CISO, j- just to kind of let them know what we're doing and, and our experience. Now, how about communications? I mean, do you have to come up with sort of a, I don't know, an unofficial Rosetta Stone so that everybody can be speaking the same language? You know, I don't know why you'd say that, David, because engineers are the most clearly understandable people on the planet. Um, Go on. <laughs> no, no, honestly, the, yes. That we, you know, we have some engineers that uh, we joke, you know, some of our machine learning folks, they can only speak in calculus. Right. Like they think they're dumbing it down when they're writing, you know, formulas for you instead of, uh, you know, straight up calculus. So but but to your point, I, I think we've identified a, uh, several key folks inside of our organization who speak engineering and security in a way that, that takes it out more broadly. And, and the good thing about that, uh, identifying those types of people is it allows them to convey the excitement that engineering folks typically have about what they're making and what they're doing to other parts of the organization, which in our environment here then allows our sales and marketing folks to really take that excitement out to the rest of the world. So to, to say every engineer can can speak to everyone, I think that's a stretch. But what you have to do is identify those folks who can really take the message out, out of engineering into the rest of the organization. And how do you foster that uh, environment of collaboration and make sure that those folks don't end up siloed? Yeah, you know, David, that's a great question. And and the first thing you have to do is always, always keep pushing because um, it's it's very natural for folks to get heads down, to to really want to focus on what they're doing because uh, most engineers, what, what they're doing, they love to do and they'd rather just work on that all day. So it takes effort and energy to push them. And so a lot of times, your, your internal PR, external PR, they make a great bridge for, for drawing people out to be able to, to communicate what they're doing. Um, you know, sometimes as an engineering uh, management lead, I've got to set up discussions and force people kind of to spread their wings a little bit. But once they see folks are curious, once you're fostering those conversations, it kind of starts to take on a, on a natural life of its own. But you do have to push and, and you've got to... You know, you got to put energy into it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a good perspective, as always. David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, David. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.